Welcome to A Damn Podcast, episode 29. I am Adam Sherlock. And I am Adam Pulcher. This week we are continuing our, or I guess beginning our controversial documentary film festival with Hell House. That's right. And then uh, we're continuing our Halloween-centric October festival I don't know how many more versions of festivalicious <laughs> stuff I can put in there. If you remember last week on episode 28, we did 28 Days Later, starring Brendan Gleeson, who is in another movie that reviewed in Bruges, mm-hmm. with uh, Ralph, I pronounce my name, Rafe Fines, mm-hmm. who played the serial killer, uh, uh, the Tooth Fairy, in Red Dragon, with... Uh, is it Emily Watson? Uh-huh. Emily Watson. Poor blind Emily That's Watson. That's right. She's in a blind dragon. That. Yeah, and she goes down on him while he's watching the tape where he killed the family. That's right. <sighs> sad, sad, sad. Anyway, um, and then she... I like her. ...plays uh, the bride, well, not the corpse bride, but the regular bar- bride in Corpse Bride. And if you remember in Corpse Bride, the <laughs> preacher is played by Christopher Lee, who's go. in this week's movie, The Wicker Man. Corpse Bride, that's a good one. It is a good one. Like and Christopher movie. Lee, it's perfect. Oh, totally. He has that voice oh, that totally. sounds like... And fuck, man, uh, Wicker Man, this is... I mean, he must have been... He looks oh, young, man. man. He's got a full head of hair. He's got a full head of hair, and it's brown, you know? Yeah. And and you think about it, and At you go... At first, I was like, is that really him? Yeah, and he I, looks I mean, like... I know it is, but I was like... What, what late 30s, maybe, and tops? He's, he's always a lord. Yes, and <laughs> even he has Lord Summer Isles... <laughs> And even then, even in his even in his mid thirties, he has that deep vibrato, and it's cool because in this movie you get to hear him sing for a minute. And apparently, from what I've heard from like uh, interviews with Peter Jackson and um, uh, people that worked with him in like Star Wars and things like that, mm-hmm. the guy is actually he, he put out a couple of records no of, of like him uh, redoing old uh, Irish folk songs and stuff, <laughs> and he has this tremendous. I mean, you hear him just for a second singing the. In the in, in a couple of times in the movie, and his voice just fucking resonates, man. It yeah, is, his balls must be dragging on the floor. I know, it's, but it's, that voice <laughs> like this all yeah, the time, all the time. And so, but I guess on set he just was known to just sing anyway. That was just one of his things. Is like and when he's bored, he just oh, oh, oh. and it's sure. fucking great. Anyway, okay, so this is one that I've been a little, I've had a little bit of trepidation to have you watch, and uh, you know it may. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know your answer yet, but it may be kismet that we watched all of these old Western movies that in a lot of ways were dated because of the era that they came out in. And then we watched The Wicker Man, which I think that, at least in my book, it's the only places it suffers are within that realm of sort of when it came out. Uh, when was when did it come out? Um, I don't know the exact year, but I know it's be I, the 70s. I know it was like late sixties, early seventies. Okay, yeah. Um, and so I'm I was excited about that, but I do have a little bit of trepidation. But I want to know what did you think of it? I, you know, I wouldn't say I hated the movie. Uh huh. Um, but I don't think it's anything I would recommend to anyone. I really had a lot of problems with it. Really, yeah. really, really, really. I did not. I, I yeah, it was rough. Really? <laughs> yeah. It was hard oh, okay. To, it was hard to watch a little bit. Um, I think a lot of it was because I think it kind of relied a lot on the ending that yeah. I saw coming. I mean, if you've seen the cover of the the thing, you could kind of right like when's this guy gonna show up? Oh, okay. Um, it the um, you know I thought that I know you you told me to listen to the music kind of part of it because they play that same song over and over. Um, I thought the music totally 
um, kind of took away from the atmosphere a little bit. Uh, the the uh, there's just some plot holes that I just was like, what really? Like mm-hmm. like the cop shows up um, on an airplane with uh, no ways of communication and no weapon. <laughs> like he's, well, he's now to be fair, no weapon because. You know, in in Great Britain, uh, none of the you know they they have the armed police, mm-hmm. but that's a whole other. That's for like SWAT okay. related issues. Your regular. Well, cop. I guess if you, I mean, not even a nightstick. You know, he's going to investigate <laughs> on this island by himself. You'd think he'd bring something. Um, the the major thing that was the biggest turnoff. Now, before I, you do this, well, let, let me t- let me say real quick. Okay, because I just want to do a synopsis. Okay, but, but you, you go ahead with what you're going to say. Um, what I was going to say is, um, I really do like the the part I did like about it was the the main theme of the religious overtones, kind of Christian versus pagan, right, type right, right, type of deal. I thought that the the main theme it was going for was, I I completely understand, and I and I'm not like. It's not hard for me to accept these kind of movies or anything no, no, like no, that, no. Yeah. but uh, it just—I I did like that aspect of it. But the biggest part that turned me off was the music, naked dancing scenes, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. The the uh, well, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and say a synopsis real fast. Okay, well let's oh, we'll, we'll do a brief synopsis. And as we say every week, if you haven't seen The Wicker Man, please go watch it. Or in Paltrow's case, stay far, far away. <laughs> um, and uh, because we're just going to spoil throughout it, the basic storyline is that uh, Inspector Howie, who is uh, played by the guy, if you remember from the '80s TV show, The Equalizer, um, is uh, uh, investigating a disappearance of a girl named Rowan Morrison. Mm-hmm. Rowan Morrison. Yeah. And uh, oh, he goes. Scottish. Yeah, he goes to the island of Summer Summers Isle, um, which is, uh, uh, I believe, in the uh, Scottish Isles. And uh, it's populated by this. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty backwoods. They're a pretty small town. It seems like everybody yeah, knows each other. Totally. And you know, I don't think that I saw a single car. You know, yeah, I mean, I guess every, that's every, true. everything's like horseback and this this kind of a thing. And uh, basically, from the moment that he gets there, he is being. Uh, Manipulated left and right. Yeah, as soon as he walks off. I mean, before he's even off of, he's still on his plane and calling, and like <laughs> yeah. all, like all the old guys kind of gather and are like, like, what do you need? Like, yeah, you know, it's just weird. Like from the get go, that way. I like the little. Uh, I think that you get a, a really nice little sense, and I guess this is the one thing I would say is I I don't think that this movie is without problems. I I don't. Yeah. I don't think. Like, you know, I don't think by any means it's a perfect movie. I think that for when it came out and for what they were trying to portray, there's some really cool nuances and there's some cool stuff in there that you, you didn't see before. And, it, you know, in that way, I kind of think of of a, a, a lesser version of what you see with an Oliver Stone movie or even a Tarantino movie where you go, that didn't work, but man, they fucking went for it. Mm-hmm. They went like full bore, like full steam ahead Dude. trying to do... Certain things, and some of it works, and some of it falls flat. Now, in my opinion, this movie um, has cool stuff and has cheesy stuff up until, in my opinion, about the last 20 minutes of the movie, 20, 25 minutes of the movie. And from there, I think it's fucking awesome. I think that there is, like, the way that it's shot, the way that there's very little dialogue. and I mean, really, once the Mayday yeah, celebration starts... It gets it gets creepier and creepier, and I, I like I really like that aspect. But what I was going to say is, even as far as these nuances go, just the boat that they bring out 
to the, the, the dinghy. Bring the dinghy. Yeah. And they bring the dinghy, and it has that weird eye painted on the side of it. It's like, to yeah. me, that is your very first uh, inkling that, like, that's kind of creepy. Like, mm-hmm. why? what's that all about? And you keep seeing that scene. It shows that eye on the yeah. side of the boat. Like, it's the all-seeing eye. Well, I mean, there... My main problem, my biggest problem that took me out of it so much was them trying to portray, I mean, trying to portray how weird this cult is and all the weird shit they they do. And they really bash it in your face, I think, too much. And there's some choice scenes where I'm like, like where that naked girl is dancing and singing. It's like a musical scene. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting that. Yeah. And... I'm sorry, but I don't want my horror movies to have dance choreography in them <laughs> with cheesy-ass, folk, folksy, weird-ass songs, and they have this weird sex almost through a wall, Yeah, and the guy is like a virgin. Yeah. He's super Christian, I think, is a big thing we have to say. He's yeah, like very he's Christian. super Christian, and a virgin, yes. And yes. a virgin, and, um, and I'm like... First, I'm like, is he supposed to be turned on, or is he like annoyed that she's making noise? Well, I and think that there's a there's an undertone there of the seduction that she's trying to seduce him, and it's almost like their their cult's way of finding out that he is a virgin. It's just and the, the inter- interesting side note: you bring up that song. It's called Willow's song. That's what it is on the yeah. soundtrack. Um, and you know, it's the song of seduction, and uh, it's sort of like the song of seduction before the sacrifice, right? Um, that song has been both uh, covered by Isabel Campbell on her on her record, Milk White Sheets. It's a fucking great cover of it. It's mm-hmm. really, really cool. But then the other band that covered it is the band Sneaker Pimps. Oh, okay. And they did an electronic version of it, and it was actually used in the sex scene in the movie Hostel. Mm-hmm. And the girls in the movie Hostel, not to ruin this movie for anybody if they haven't seen it, but you pretty much, it's kind of like the Wicker Man and the idea of like, the second that the credits stop rolling, you go, I think I know everything that's going to happen here. It's <laughs> yeah. that kind of a movie. But, you know, the girls, the really hot girls, get the unsuspecting American guys and sleep with them, and then the next day they all get slaughtered to death, right? They all get fucking murdered. But in that sex scene where the girls are sleeping with these guys, it plays the electronic version of Willow's song. And I thought, oh, that's a really, that's an in-joke for anybody that's like me, I guess, like right? Man, like, yeah, yeah that, that know, you know knows, like, and I, I knew the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, they're all going to die. Yeah. That's Willow's song. I know that. <laughs> like, so, but well, I, I can understand, I understand uh, uh, your reservation and what you're saying. I guess that's kind of what I'm talking about is I, I appreciate it for the, the level of sheer weirdness that they go yeah. for. And yeah, it does pull you out. And like I said, in, in my opinion, some of them work, some of them fall flat on their ass. The Willow song one. I don't know. It works for me. Yeah, I, it works it was, for me in the context of everything. It but. was too weird for me, and I don't mind weird shit. I'll sit through anything, you know. Right, like, right. I, I don't. But it was just. It wasn't like a, to me. It just wasn't a good weird. Another another uh, part that was uh, one thing I want to say too is uh, the main guy, the police officer, mm-hmm. Inspector Howie. Yeah, he looks exactly like. Bob Odenkirk, <laughs> and there was a, there was the <laughs> there was a 
There I've a, never even thought of that. There is a scene where they're <laughs> dancing around with ribbons around the tree, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be this huge phallic symbol, and they're like half naked or naked, jumping yeah. over fire, yeah. and dancing around, singing this gay-ass song. Mm-hmm. I was I was looking for David Cross. I'm like, when is he going to pop out? And this has got to be a Mr. Show. This has got to be a Mr. Show-like scene or something. Like, this is the most retarded shit I've ever seen. It was just too much for me, like... It, so much of it was laughable. It was hard for me to take serious the the cool parts. I really liked Christopher Lee was amazing. Obviously, mm-hmm. he was really cool. And it's funny because they kept going. He's kept investigating the town. And I have a few problems with that as well. The um, but you know they're always like, oh, you need the Lord's permission and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And then you meet Christopher Lee. And, He's a very kind of down-to-earth, cool guy. Yeah, really reasonable. And you're thinking, why does everything have to go through this guy? Like, who yeah. the hell is he? Um, one prob- it takes a little bit for that to unfold of why you see about that. One problem I have with the investigation is, he. the reason he's there is because he got a complaint and a letter from somebody. Right. Um, why doesn't he try and find the fucking person who sent him the letter and get some answers? Because nobody gives him answers. Even the mother of the girl denies, denies it. You know, and it's just like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it ever... That's a good uh, plot hole. I agree with that, that. That I don't think that you ever know who the letter is from. I don't know if they ever say it's anonymous or or who it's from or what when they got it or anything like that. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, I mean, and that leads to its own... Uh, uh, plot hole that's actually a plot device which is you know and we'll, we'll kind of we'll spoil and then move back and talk about other things but at the end of the day what's happened is is that uh you know this this island has been made up of pagans since uh, uh christopher lee's character since his great-grandfather moved to this island and uh they found he he, uh, he found that to have the people, uh, to give them back their old gods and their old ways, uh, made them better farmers, made them better uh, better harvesters, mm-hmm. and, and that they would be more willing to work if they had this kind of a community. And that it worked for so long, up until this last year, that the, the harvest failed. And that they had That's always right. talked of a sacrifice, but they had never actually done one. And that there was a manipulation going on where they pretended that they had sacrificed this girl... And somehow gotten someone like Inspector Howie, who is this chaste man of God, who is also a man of law, that was part of the rules too, that's a virgin, to come there and then they would hold their very first ever human sacrifice. And unlike the dichotomy that that Christopher Lee's character isn't really a pagan, he really doesn't believe in it. He knows that he's manipulating his people, but he is built... His family has so much stock in this island that he's willing to go through with it 100%. And I think that's the thing that Inspector Howie's character uh, doesn't, that, that he underestimates through the entire thing. Once he meets, once he meets Christopher Lee's character, he's like, I don't think he, I think he just, he doesn't, he didn't take it seriously before and then he really doesn't take it seriously then. And he doesn't take it seriously up until like the last three minutes of the movie that he's like, oh fuck, they really are going to kill me. Yeah. Like, he's going to fucking go through with it. Now, the plot hole there is, how did they get Howie? How did they know that he was going to be, be the guy that yeah. showed up? And I don't. I, I agree with you on that. That's a huge, I mean, that's the main plot device. And it's a huge hole of, like, yeah. why did they just send that guy? Why didn't, why didn't they send, like you said, like, ten guys, ten armed guys in yeah. there? Where is this girl? You know, uh, in, in, in defense of the movie, 
he's also there as a preliminary investigation. And he's so stubborn-headed, you see it repeatedly throughout the movie, like, dude, just, you thought it was weird, you've been here five minutes, just fucking leave. Like, if you leave right now, you'll probably be okay, but you're still there, and you're fucking with everybody, you know? Um... There's weird shit in it that I like. I like the the song, the Landlord's Daughter song. Like, just the strangest, where they're in the pub and they're all singing oh, this yeah. song about the about the girl, about Willow, the, 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 about that girl. That's fucking strange enough. That makes you feel like you're high. Um, I, I, <laughs> I like the whole conversation when he first meets Christopher Lee and they talk about just religions and he's yeah. basically spouting blasphemy off to this Christian guy, the yeah. police officer, and... Um, I really liked how there he was saying, you know, uh, you're like, oh, Jesus is uh, a ghost, you know, and yeah, you guys believe in a ghost, they, that... and they don't, you know, they don't use the word dead and stuff like that, and you could see him just boiling. Well, and like, then what's the part where he says, uh, you know, they're jumping, the virgins are jumping over the fire in hopes that it will impregnate them, and he's like, what do you mean, blah blah, and he's like. Well, doesn't your religion believe that a woman was impregnated by a ghost and gave birth to your savior? Yeah. And you're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> and, I mean, if you think about when this movie came out, too, it's like, that harkens back to some kind of fucked up stuff, you know? I mean, he's he definitely, the police officer, is very stern and aggressive, and they really give him grief from minute one, though. You know, they Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And well, and just all the weird stuff with uh, the Rowan's mother working at the at the candy shop, and like the candy shop has all those candy deities in it. Right yeah. when they walk in, you're like, "What the fuck, man?" Yeah, I saw like, that, and, I, and I was like, "Kind of looks like Sherlock's house a little bit." <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah, yeah, I've got some of that stuff. I got some, I got some sugar skulls and whatnot. Um, you know, other little moments that I thought were uh, really hit the nail on the head. Uh, the trees planted on the graves, and the and and it had her, uh, had her intestinal what, unraveled navel string in the tree or whatever that yeah. was, like that stuff. And then they dig up the 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 coffin, and it has the rabbit in it, it has the hair yeah. in it. Yeah. That shit was really cool, you know. I like the whole I like the whole classroom of kids denying that Rowan ever existed. That's yeah. a really nice in creepy moment, yeah. you know, like it, where it's just like to realize like. These children are lying. Like, all of them are lying. And the teachers, like, everybody's lying to you. And meanwhile, outside, all the all the boys are, penis. Yeah. are dancing around the maypole. And we, yeah, it was it? Uh, the, the, uh, the, the woman lays on the man, and, and the man uh, oh. become goes into the grave, and from the grave grows a great tree, and all just, like, fucking creepy, man. Yeah. Like, those things. And, and I, I guess that's the stuff that I think of, and I go, I just haven't. Like, in that context, I haven't seen that. And I think one of the things I like about it is that they do pound you, pound it in your head of things being weird. Yeah. But it's always weird in this light way. You know, it's not it's not weird in this... It's not like Seven, where from the minute that it starts, it's so dark and grimy that you're like, I'm not going to be shocked by anything because yeah. the, everything is like this. Instead, you've got these, like, silly, groovy, like, 70s songs, and everything's bright, and the sun's always shining, and everybody's really nice, and then you keep seeing this fucked up shit happening and happening and happening. And really, if I had a big complaint about this movie, it would be, and God, it's not even really a complaint as much as it is that I never sided with Inspector Howie, because he was just so fucking uptight, and so Christian, (laughs) and so wound up that you're like, 
dude, this is even weirder than you're giving it credit for. You're getting pissed, but you're not getting like, okay, this is this whole town and it's just me. Yeah. It's like it's almost like he he believes so much in the the church and the badge that he's unable to see that like you're surrounded by fucking people that are like not doing what you're telling them to do. You know what I mean? It's like he doesn't he doesn't realize that up until like the last five minutes. Um, speaking of that, let's get into the last segment because, like I said, I think that the last 20, 25 minutes are fucking brilliant. I, I think from the moment that he goes back out to his plane to try and leave and it won't yeah. start, and you get all the guys uh, popping up over the hedges with the fucking animal masks on, yeah. that is like, that That was the, the first time I saw it. When they pop up with those animal masks on, I just thought The Shining. It was the first thing I thought of, like, that's exactly like, you know what I yep. mean? The, the fucking rabbit or dog-headed guy or whatever in The yeah. Shining. Like, uh -huh. just really creepy. Yeah, I mean, it really, overall, the idea of the movie was intriguing, but it, it kind of falls short um, to keep me interested, really. I think mm -hmm. the weird stuff took away so much that... I, all the the cool creepy stuff that you're talking about is it's cool and creepy and it, there's parts that I did enjoy but as a whole I the just, other stuff took it so far yeah, out yeah it was rip. just like well you know what the fuck are they gonna do now like have a donkey show and you know right and, right know. right it's just I don't know it just got it was too weird for me and, and like I said I like weird stuff it was just I guess for being such a uh, uh, renowned movie and a cult classic and Citizen Kane of horror movies. Right. I didn't even think it was a horror movie, really. Like, I know I wasn't really ever scared, and there wasn't really, I don't know, it just, there's elements of it that didn't say horror movie to me, and I, you know, I don't know, it just didn't, it, I, don't, I, I don't really have much more to say, really, yeah. I guess. I mean, the ending was, was cool and interesting, but like I said, I think the movie relied too much on the ending, and mm. I could see it coming. I mean, I, I guess it, for something that was so renowned, it kind of just, I was expecting something different because I know it's one of your favorite movies. So It really, well, and it really is, and I guess that I'm also one of those people that, like, you know, there's Doobie Brothers songs I love because they, even though they used, like, keyboard electronic drums in it that sound fucking horrible <laughs> if I think about the period of time when the song came yeah, out. Yeah. I'm like, it mixes so well, man, that I... I get blinded by the other elements of it that maybe are, are more obvious of like, yeah, but it fucking sucks. That I might I might jump past. And I'm still defending this movie because I think it has a lot of merit, but I at the same time I can understand, and it was one of the reasons why I was really interested for you to watch it and yeah. tell me what you thought. Um, you know, I just, I really think that the, the end of this movie has some great stuff in it that... Uh, the swords and the pentagram shape and the different mm -hmm. people coming up through it and yep. that I, I love the hand of glory that they leave next to him while he takes a nap oh, that's with right. flames on the fingertips and that's the other thing I thought was really cool is a lot of the stuff like the hands of glory the hand of glory um, the uh, the pentagram of swords the hobby horse and the fool for a day you know, or the king for a day fool for a lifetime that 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 officer how he actually puts on the costume of of punch yeah. the fool all of that stuff is 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 dead on accurate for the ancient payday uh, ancient mayday uh, pagan celebration so I thought all that was really cool I think the twist at the end when you kind of understand everything is sort of like like you said you see it coming and then that just great last scene of when they pull like drag him up on the hill and he actually sees 
the Wicker Man, and it's the first time. I mean, even though there's like the picture of it on the cover or whatever, yeah. you don't really get a feel for what it is until the camera comes over that side. And there's all the guys standing there with the torches, and it's that big thing, and it doesn't have a fucking face. And it's a door, yeah. And there's like goats and chickens and shit in it. I mean, that to me, I'm just like. Fuck, that's such a great looking now, shot. Now, um, I thought that was just a phenomenal I'm, shot. I'm pretty sure you haven't seen the remake. Is that no, right? I won't see that. I'm not going to <laughs> it see that. It looks so horrible. No, I saw that, like you were saying, that YouTube thing where they yeah. do all the clips <laughs> together. And there's just the one where he punches some lady. Yeah, he punches a lady and karate kicks a little girl. <laughs> yeah, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing that. That's pretty much all I had yeah. to see. I watched it again today just because we just watched that. Yeah. So I would understand maybe the the parts that he's trying to play more. See, and that's such a fucked up thing too because you think about it and you go, okay, okay, you 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 are uh, an aspiring filmmaker. If somebody gave you the money to remake The Wicker Man, how fucking awesome could you make it? Yeah. You know what I mean? With I mean, take what they did in this one. Leave out the stuff that seems dated and the stuff that's way too over the top. Leave in the nuanced stuff and then hype it up a little bit more and maybe make the story a little bit more realistic. But leave those, leave that last ten minutes almost shot for shot. You know what I mean? Because it it's so well done. And instead, uh, and it's and it's uh, it's Nick Cage. Uh, well, n- not Nicolas Cage, but it's uh, Neil Labute, Neil Labute, uh, who did in the Company of Men and and uh, your friends and neighbors, uh, who is a, a, a BYU alum. He's uh he's Mormon. He's uh-huh. from Utah. Okay. He's from Salt Lake, and he fucked up a remake of he, so a movie that Wicker Man. Yeah, and that movie Ugh. had fucking. I mean, you've seen the original now. You know the potential that it could be if yeah. you were given the money. Okay, remake this movie, <laughs> and you're a competent filmmaker. And instead, you have Nicolas Cage drop kick a little kid. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? It, oh, like, I know it kind of cut the YouTube thing. Kind of cut up the little part. It doesn't matter if but, you have that scene but, anyway. But like, it was like cringeworthy. Like, and, and he's running through minutes. a forest in that like bear costume, like <laughs> running from bees. Holy uh, Christ! It was pretty seriously. Horrible. Um, you know, right. the last thing I'll say about this is I think that the uh, the one uh, the one other thing I love um, is the very 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 last shot in the movie. I think is one of those, at least for me, um, because I like this movie. <laughs> uh, I thought it was is really iconic and a great shot is the very last shot of the movie. What once when the Wicker Man, you know, they've lit it on fire and it's it's burning uh officer howie and they're standing there and they're singing and they're yeah doing they're doing the sway with the arms that to me is fucking bone chilling it's so yeah. disturbing because it's just and he's cool. screaming and he's sing screaming the lord's prayer and then once the fire has reached the top, the top of the wicker man's head and you see the head and the head's engulfed in flames, and then it collapses. And right as it collapses, the sun is setting behind it, almost yeah. like to say that it did work and they're going to get a great harvest next year. I just thought that was so fucking cool, man, that, that despite its problems, I just think at its heart there's these moments like that. You know, and I think in, in particular the main thing, uh, and this would be my last comment on this, is that this is made by the people who were in charge of uh, the Hammer horror movies in in the in the sixties and seventies? That the Christopher Lee is where he it's really where he cut his teeth on on movie making at all. Huh. All of the old movies where he played Dracula and Peter Cushing was uh, uh, Von Helsing, you know, and they made all these different low budget horror movies. This movie was made by that same filmmaking crew, um, 
and it was literally like they they somehow other studios passed on it. They got a hold of it and read it and were like, "This is too out there for us." We're werewolf versus yeah, yeah. Werewolf versus vampire. So they just went off and made it themselves. And then they, the well, and then they keep kept bringing it back and kept talking about it. And then they were like, "Well, let's show it to Christopher Lee," and he was like, "Fucking hey, I want to do this." And so that's how it got made. So if you think about it, on top of all of that, that when it was made, it was made by this really small, low budget company that made this movie. I mean, I think in that context also, it's kind of the little movie that could, it, with the idea being that like. Yeah, I mean, if it would have had the budget that something like Rosemary's Rosemary's Baby did, they probably could have left in the nuances and with maybe a better director had a little more insight into leaving out some of the wackier aspects. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But even even with all those things considered, I think that's one of the reasons why it's considered such a classic is because it kind of just came out of fucking left field. You know, where it's like they released it like, mm, released it in like 10 theaters and suddenly people are going... Dude, I saw this fucked up movie the yeah. other night. Like, I did not expect that's what it was going to be, you know. And yeah. so, I think that's where a lot of that stemmed from, and and and, and it snowballed from there. But it wasn't what I expected, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, um, well, let's go ahead and listen to a song. Uh, we'll listen to a song by the band Swim Swam Swum, who are actually not from Salt Lake; they're from Portland, uh, Oregon, and the song is called "Without Your French." And when we come back, we will do our top five. Um, uh, town what, what did i what did i call it i had such a good name stranger for it. in a strange land no there was a better name for it that i just came oh, up that's with. right the town with a dark secret i think that was what it was cliches cliches <laughs> all right we'll be right back
Okay. <laughs> Welcome back to yes. the award-winning podcast, Ooh, a nice damn one. podcast from Salt Lake City. So um, you've just said an oh, award-winning. No, that wouldn't. No. Award-winning show, a damn podcast. That works. Okay. I said podcast too many times. You said it twice in a row. Um, That's okay. Okay, before we do get into our cliches, um, how's your punishment review coming? Have you got Lost Boys yet? I haven't yet. I'll have it next week. I definitely will. Okay. Speaking of next week, um, I'm 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 an expert when it comes to horror movies, but not when it comes to math. And we <laughs> ended up with one more week than we <laughs> anticipated when we started looking at the calendar. And so we had it all worked out of the four different versions, uh, the four different big main versions of horror movies. I forgot one that Palter reminded me of, which is the creepy kid movie. Mm -hmm. The creepy kid movie. Probably my favorite kind of horror movie. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So uh, next week, we're going to switch it up a little bit. We're adding an extra one, and we're going to do The Omen, mm -hmm. the proper one, the original one. Yep. Um, and along with that, we're going to continue the controversial do uh, documentaries in hopes that people will go watch this movie before Election Day. Right. Uh, the movie is Why We Fight. We figure it's coming up. Um, it's really, talk about controversial movies, but it's really just enlightening, and it's really a lot about the history of America and war. And but I haven't seen it, so Why I'm We excited. Fight, unbelievable. Put it in your cues now. Go watch it because we really want you to... This is really a, a good one, especially yeah. with election time coming up. So. Definitely, definitely. So, okay. So all right. We're so, going to do our top five... The town with a dark secret yes. cliches. Stranger in a strange land yes. cliches. Yes, since that's really what is at the heart of Wicker Man, and and I think that a lot of these cliches will, will touch All mine really have too. to do with Rambo. So, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should never have been there. You're expendable. Um, do you want me to go ahead and start? Yeah, sure. Okay. Mine are, I don't know, they're kind of big. It's hard. Mine are, they feel generic, but I guess once we start talking about it. Yeah, that's why they're cliches. I guess that's true. This is true. <laughs> My number five is that things in the town always seem too good to be true in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Things are always way too, way too good to be true. I mean, Okay, perfect example, like I was talking about earlier, Hostel. I would be a little bit suspicious if I showed up and there were hot chicks everywhere that wanted to have sex with me. <laughs> like, this is... This is weird, yeah. Why is this place, like, yeah, why do more people not know about this place, right? Like, that's a little bit strange. Or, you know, I mean, there's there's so many movies that, that have that, that same kind of, like... In fact, I, I would say that it it's is... It's like the... Uh... The club that George goes to in Seinfeld, and they he takes Jerry there, and it's a meat locker. Oh, <laughs> that's right! Yeah, yeah. It's a picture of man hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you know, another uh, another like a great example would be pretty much any like Salem's Lot. It any Stephen King story always starts off with the town is too good. You know, needful things. Uh, the town is always too good to be true. As mm -hmm. it starts, and then you start to delve, and oh, there's all this crazy bullshit. So that's my number five. The town is too good to be true when cool. we first get there. Mine is more cult-related, my number five is. Um, when you do go to the strange towns, you do run into cults every once in a while. Yeah. Um, every time the cult in the town, they always have some kind of costume or robe or mask or whatever. Like we see in Wicker Man, Hot Fuzz has it. 
Um, there's tons of them, but there's all they always have. They all they robes. all dress the same. Robes yeah. is big. Yeah, robes is way big. You know, I mean, even you can if you want to get that specific, you can go with Ku Klux Klan. In a way, that's a cult. Yeah, totally. You know, totally. and they all have the robes going on. And technically, I think they're a clan. Well, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you get the idea. <laughs> no, you're absolutely the right. No, the cult in the town like, always wears a robe. Yeah, there always seems to be some point where where they stumble upon some ritual. And you right? can even Something go. If, uh, another good one that you didn't list on your name of movies there is Eyes Wide Shut. That's a good Ooh, one. Ooh, yeah. Where they kind of have the cultish sex orgy That place. part of that movie is fucking terrifying. Oh, I love it. It's it so is good. so fucking it terrifying. <laughs> um, all right, my number four. When our hero or heroine or whatever you want to say that we're following into this into the story into the the unusual town or the very usual town that ends up being unusual or whatever you want to call it, yes, um, there's never any other visitors in the town, or if there are other visitors, <laughs> they it. become somehow manipulated or they disappear. Yep, right. Good one. That's a good one. Like it, you know, the one the one uh, tourist meets the other tourist there, and then yeah, there's you know, never tourists. Uh, uh, or <laughs> another great example would be Rosemary's Baby. How uh, they move into the apartment building, she meets the other girl, and then within the next five minutes, yeah. the other girl's dead. That's right. The only other normal person there's dead. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and once again, that's another good one with the robes and the costumes, like you were talking about, yep. Rosemary's Baby. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Right. Same thing again. That's why they're cliches. Okay, go ahead with your number four. My number four is the main person or heroine, whenever they go to this other town, or even uh, if you want to take it, um, like a movie like Insomnia, where they go go and investigate Mm -hmm. um, something, so they have a reason for going to the town, but it's still a strange town, they're always running from something back home. Oh... So oh, I like reason, that one a there's, lot. There's a reason they're leaving, you know, or there's a reason they're on this trail they, or in this town. And, 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 and at some point, their story from back home somehow gets mixed in with what's going on now. Exactly. Even Wicker Man has that because he, uh, Officer uh, Inspector Howie, is like so Christian and so wound up and so like mm-hmm. chaste and virginal and all these things that that ends up being his undoing at the end of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, totally, man. That's a really good one. I like that one a lot. Um, my number three, there's always, and I mean, this is true of a lot of movies, but this is true 100% of the time with these movies. There's always a big exposition scene. There's always a scene where things get unraveled, and whoever the leader of the cult or the leader of whatever insidious, murderous plot is going on, has to explain it to this one guy. Even though he's a nobody, he must know everything. It's like the James it's like the James Bond curse that we we, we discovered last week when we watched Good Bad and the Ugly. Tuco had pick, figured out perfectly. If you're gonna shoot, shoot. Don't sit and talk. That's right. right? Like but there always is the huge like here's the plot of the movie. Explain here's this everything to me. weird yeah. you've seen up until now. Here's what it was. Like, yeah. There's always that, oh, right? That's terrible though, because it's just like <laughs> let the audience figure it out for themselves. Yeah, if they don't know it by yeah. now, they should just have left an hour ago. Exactly. No, but it's great, I and I always love that. that and I mean, you know why they do it? They do it for the. They don't. I don't think they do it as much for the dumb people in the audience as they do. They do it so that you can see the gotcha look on the victim's face. Right on the regular guy that stumbled into the town, you have to see the what? Yeah. Soiling green is people. Like you have to have that scene for him. So, <laughs> all right, my that's... number uh, my number three is 
kind of similar to a cliche we had, I think, last week, um, is there's always the wise old timer. Um, oh, yeah. In, that's there when they arrive. Though. He's always there when they arrive, and he foresees their what's going to happen to them and always watches over them kind of a thing. Yeah, and, yeah. And and he gets there, and even the old guys at on Wicker Man, when mm-hmm. he shows up, there's like a whole group of them. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, this guy's fucked. You know, I can tell you right now, you don't want to be here. Well, and that, that brings me to an interesting one that I think is 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 true a lot of the time, and, and, and this isn't on my list, but it just made me think of it when you said that, that a lot of times the old-timer or the, the person there that's seen everything tries to somehow warn warn the person to just, like, go home, like, just go back, don't be a part of this or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a great one of those, actually, in Hostel 2, where, you know, it's towards the beginning of the movie that the there's this kind of ugly guy with fucked up teeth that asks one of the girls to dance. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, no, I don't want to dance with you because you're ugly, you know, kind of a <laughs> thing, with, but, but trying to be really nice. And he just looks at her and he shakes his head and he goes, I could have helped you. And walks away. And then you see that guy way later in the movie after everything's been fucked up and all the girls' friends are all getting killed off. Mm-hmm. And he's like driving out of town with all of his like possessions in the back of his truck. And like he looks like he's gotten the shit beat out of him just barely. And she's like, please help me. He's like, no, you had your chance earlier kind of a thing and drives away, right? And I just was like, oh, you know. That's why you shouldn't be shallow. He tried to help you. But That's right. That's a good one. Um, Your number two. My number two, our hero is always given at least a, one chance to join the weirdos. Yeah. Right? It's the moment of truth. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, you're, you, you, could, you could be part of this. We have a, we have a great community here. You could you could join us and be part of this and yes, you know, no, you know, and yeah. but that's always that always happens. There's that little moment of like, you know, you don't have to call the authorities, kind of a thing. Like so, that's that's it's a small one, but I think that every one of those movies has that moment of truth, kind of a thing in it. Okay, my number two is actually a kind of a two parter. Um, the partner or spouse of the person. Mm-hmm. Or the person who's close to closest to the heroine, right. or whoever the main person is in the movie, either dies or is the bad guy. <laughs> oh, so or ends up ends up being part of it. Yeah, they're they're either all, all of the, the all of the howling, person, pretty much. Right? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I like that one. There's uh, even you know Devil's Advocate, like you said, uh, uh, Rosemary's Al- Baby, Al Pacino. Yeah. yeah. So even, Hot Fuzz, even. Yep. Yeah. 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 Totally. So, no, know, that's a really good. They one. either die, like in, there you go. Insomnia. He shoots his partner. Right. Right. Um, it, sorry if you haven't seen Insomnia. Well, it's at the beginning of the movie, so it's not. <laughs> but um. You know, stuff like that, uh, I, that just seems to always happen. No, that's a great one. That's a great one, kind of pushing that, that story uh, along. My number one is very specific, but when I thought of it, I kind of went through every single one of these movies and went, yeah, this is, this, is, this is a pretty good one. My number one, the events that are happening now in the town, right? Whatever cult or uh, uh, murder conspiracy or werewolves or whatever it is yeah has its origins from a long 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 oh, time yeah. ago <laughs> and we are given explanation the exposition of this through sepia toned flashbacks <laughs> or sepia toned photographs that our hero finds nice 
Every fucking time, man, <laughs> down the line, right? Like they find he finds the old scrapbook and that's that's him there. He must be two hundred years old or whatever it, it is, yeah. right? Like every fucking time and it's always like Rose through a book, baby the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always like smoky uh flashbacks or sepia tone photos. Like always, like hands down, that's how it explains it. And it's always something that started a really, really long time ago. Which that cliche in its defense, I think always makes it a lot creepier mm-hmm. than like, oh, we started doing this three weeks ago and you just happened to show up. It's like, no, it's always like hundreds of years old. This cult moved to this town and ooh. You know? <laughs> nice. I mean, even Wicker Man, the, this, the photographs, the old yeah. photographs, mm-hmm. and that's how he finds out that they had a bad harvest and all that. And that's right. Summer Isles talks about his great-grandfather. Yeah. And every single Good one on. of them down the line, they'll have that. That's very true. Well, they got to explain it. So. Yep. They have to have that exposition scene. <laughs> this one, uh, my number one is... It's more of a small town aspect, or even, I guess you could even apply it to a big city aspect, but, uh, and this is more of a, a person who's getting chased in the small town. Okay, a cliche. okay, right. Um, if being chased through a town, you can almost always take cover in a parade. <laughs> <laughs> always. <laughs> no matter... Always, you know, you can learn so much from Harrison Ford in movies, and you know, boy, I'll tell you what, man. It's if not you can, yeah, if you can, if you can, if you if you're the number one fugitive in Chicago, and any, you can still any hide movie in a where fucking you're parade, chased, though, like that, and it's usually somebody investigating something or whatever, and they're trying to get away from the bad guy, or they lose the bad guy in a parade. In a parade, <laughs> it's every always time. A parade. In a parade, it's not that exciting, but you know, hey, it's. My number one. <laughs> uh, a, no, it's a fucking. It's pretty down the line. That's a great one. A parade or some kind of a party or like yeah, anything that's going on out in the streets. Yep, that's a great one. So, uh, should we go ahead and get into our next segment? Yes. The this week for our beginning of our controversial documentary film festival. That seems too long. We need to come up with a better name. For yeah, it. there's got to be a cute name for it. We are going to do the. Hell, uh, movie Hell House. It's a documentary about uh, Texas uh, Trinity. It. Trinity is the church uh, church in Texas that has a, ha- a haunted house they put on every year where literally tens of thousands of people go to see this. And It's, it's like extreme, evangelical Christians. Extremely controversial um, documentary and very controversial haunted house because they really bang into your head you basically walk through this haunted house and there's like five or six different scenes and they're basically have to do with suicide, drugs, abortion, homosexuality, drunk driving, incest. Yeah. Pretty much anything horrible that you can think about that they hate um, <laughs> is portrayed in one of these. And I, I, well, I mean, what they consider to be the dangers of the world and exactly. way, ways in which uh, God can help you, but that if you... Uh, have I don't even know the term uh, if you haven't been saved I guess yeah. then you're I mean th- this they actually have characters they actually have actors dressed up as demons mm-hmm. pulling the people into hell um, I, so. I have to say like Compared to The Wicker Man, this movie is so much scarier. Well, it's real. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. No, you're absolutely right about that. Compared to most movies. Compared little, to most movies. documentaries. Yeah, yeah. Um, so freaky. Yeah. These people are... I mean, 
in their own right, they're doing what they think is best and everything, you know, right. and they think uh, what they believe is is good, and, and it's like George well, and Bush. They, well, and they talk about it, they talk about it from the from the get-go, you, you get scenes of the pastor who is in uh, most of this movie, is the guy with the mustache. Who, yeah, this womb broom. Yeah, the womb broom. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> who, uh, you know, basically says... We are at war. We are at war, and we are trying to save souls. And, I mean, he, everything that I ever knew... I mean, I, I, I was raised uh, religious. Didn't take. But, uh, you know, everything that I ever knew about religion from growing up, this guy basically dispels in, like, one breath by just oh. basically saying, you know, does our, does our church have to do with fear? And I thought for sure the answer was there. No, but instead, like, yeah, and he's like, yeah, yeah, this, it this, definitely this has to do with well, fear, and, and we need to put this fear into these people because we are at war, and we need to, you know, Satan's scoreboard is high, and we need to get our scoreboard high. So we need to be out there, people. We need to be saving these souls. This is how we're going to do it. Well, we need to scare these I, people. I grew up uh, in a religious family as well. Uh, grew up Catholic, and I remember a distinct time in my. Um, growing up and having to get forced to go to church every week. Obviously, right. I didn't take either. But um, <laughs> the uh, I remember distinctly asking my mother, um, so, you know, I, you know, finding out about these religions, other religions, other than being Catholic, and saying, so what are the differences of these religions? Yeah. And she never really had a straight answer. I wish I would have asked this guy. Because he would have given me... Yeah, that. I mean, he would have given you... I mean, and that's, and that's probably the strongest... Uh, point about this movie is that the filmmakers, uh, the documentary makers, uh, they they don't follow this ideology at all. I mean, they're uh, I believe that both of the guys are actually from New York. Um, documentary filmmakers, that's really oh, at the, the heart of what they wanted to do. And I, I think... they, I still don't know exactly how they were able to get in and be such a fly on, on the wall. I mean, these, not that these people are saying things that they feel embarrassed about by any stretch of the imagination, but it gets to such a degree of personal interaction, oh, watching yeah. these personal interactions. And the best part about the movie, the strongest thing for me, is there is no narrative from the filmmakers. None, yeah. They filmed it. I mean, it, it isn't even edited in a way... It isn't even edited in a way to suggest, oh, we think these people are stupid. Mm -hmm. I mean, they let them speak for themselves... You know they let they let the scenes play out as long as they need to, and you get so many intense little storylines that happen here. A couple of the characters that we meet uh, throughout this movie, and I actually I don't know any of their names. They don't. We, we should they say too. We're not going to spoil anything. Either. No, we won't spoil anything. There really isn't anything to spoil. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Being a documentary. I mean, a lot of documentaries have the big reveal at the end of, like, this yeah. and this happened. But this isn't one of those. This is basically one little slice of life. Uh, I believe it's Hell House number 10 that they're putting on yep. at this Trinity Church. And it is basically the slice of life of them preparing for the Hell House and performing it. And that's it. That's basically, yeah. Um, some of the characters we meet, and we don't. I don't know any of these people's names, and I yeah. don't even know that they're really given in a... Uh, predominant way That's we true. meet the 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 father who uh, uh, has five kids five kids <laughs> the youngest who has a uh, uh, cerebral palsy oh and they we they see a seizure on we camera. see the child have a seizure on camera that's freaky in the first 30 seconds of meeting the guy I mean it is 
It is so warts and all. I mean, you see oh, yeah. everything. And he has this really cute daughter who's a cheerleader and, and who's performing in Hell House. And uh, he has a really interesting sideline storyline of, uh, you know, that he wife. wants to he wants to perform. I mean, God, you only get these tidbits of information so that a lot of it's a mystery that, you know, he wants to perform in in uh, the Hell House scene where the uh, husband finds out that the wife has been cheating by emails that he finds and then he ends up killing her and killing the kids. Um, and then you find out, and then he doesn't get that. He doesn't get that uh, uh, position as that actor of the father, but you find out later that his wife isn't in the family life anymore and you don't really know why. Yeah, they don't really say. They don't really say why, except that you know that she did have an internet romance. And that the guy that she had the affair with is dead. Oh, I didn't get that. He's no longer with us. That's what he says. He's no longer with us. He's gone. I thought he said she's no longer with us, meaning she left. No, he's no longer the guy that he that she had that his wife had an affair with is dead. Well, and that's all you get from I, it. I you get that, that from it, and then from an interview with the daughter, you get that. They thought that he that our dad was abusing us, so we were taken to a halfway home for a yeah. couple of months before we got to come back. Mm-hmm. And that's all you know. And then you get this fucking scene later where he's in the hell house watching the scene uh-huh. play out. Yeah, and it just is focusing on his face. And I mean, it, you could hear a fucking pin drop. There's these, and this continues to happen throughout this movie that you get the, this undertone of ideas that even though these people are going. We are really chaste and religious, and we think these things are horrible, and so we're going to show them to people to scare them. So many of the people who act in the Hell House have their own stories that coincide. Like the rave guy. The rave guy who obviously... That's another one of the characters I love is the rave guy Mm -hmm. who wants to make a rave scene where a girl gets given a date date rape drug and all this. But then, like, he's really excited about doing, like, making it look like a rave inside the haunted house. And what is it? uh, Wait, wait, wait. I got it right here where he's walking through and he's like... Over here, this says Joy Electric. Over here, and it's like shit that he spray painted on the walls. He's like, over here, it says blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, "Uh, this wall only says one thing. It says Groovalistic Quick Fix Machine, which is actually the name of my website. You're like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? My rave website. I mean, I remember times. uh, I remember times pulling eight or nine bodies off the floor just to get out of the rave. And he's (laughs) like, well, maybe I exaggerate a little bit. And you're like, Dude, you're still so stoked about it, even though you've been "quote unquote" saved. Yeah, you're so excited. The filmmakers really put you in these people's world, and it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Unless you're you're heavily Christian and live in the South, probably. You know, I think, and and it's really like there's there's parts and scenes. uh, There's a couple um, that I want to talk about. That like the scene where they're talking about doing a lesbian scene. And they're like, you know what? I don't want the two girls spending that much time together. Just, and, just suggesting it's bad enough. Exactly. Is he saying that or and, something? And, but they'll have a homosexual guy dying of AIDS in the and, in the and, emergency room. But that kind of stuff. And and the fact that they really think that just because these two girls are hanging out together, they're going to become lesbians. That yeah. they don't want to risk that. Um, oh, the, definitely. Can I can I give another one of my sure. favorites uh-huh. like that? And it's so great, and it is this fly-on-the-wall technique that the filmmakers were able to use to capture these genius moments where the guy is sitting there helping the girl write the script for the scene uh, about kids getting into witchcraft, and she's like, she's like, no, wait, is it called... 
uh, Magic Gathering? And he's like, no, they're called uh, Magic... I think it's called Magic The Gathering. And she's like, okay, well, let me read it back. Um, uh, they should have warned me about getting involved in Ouija boards and Magic The Gathering. She's like, I just don't think that sounds right. And they're talking about it, and you just realize, like, dude, you guys are doing a scene about shit you don't even know what it is. Yeah. Ouija? <laughs> A Ouija board. <laughs> Not a Ouija board, but like O-U-J, yeah. like Ouija. And then they're talking about like Harry Potter books yeah. as being like a gateway to the occult. And you're just going, this doesn't even have to do with like whether or not you believe in God or you believe in yeah. the story of Jesus Christ. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with you guys in particular. Not your religion, your denomination, not none of that, none of your beliefs. You guys are fucking insane. <laughs> Because you should at least have some frame of reference for being like, well, we want to warn you against this. And, like, the guy is telling the camera, he's just like, I mean, that's how it starts, you know? These impressionable reading kids. Reading Harry that's Potter how, and playing magic. Reading Harry Potter books and, 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 and playing Magic Magic the Gathering. Uh, is that what it's called? Magic the Gathering? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? That kind of stuff, though. And the fact that the scene just plays out and plays out and well, plays out. Along with that same guy, too, I wanted to talk about was another scene. You know which guy that I'm talking about. I think he's, uh, I want to say he's like, uh, he's uh, Spanish or Mexican or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. That guy. Yeah. He's a teacher at the school. Yeah. Uh, the whole school atmosphere is like, holy shit. Oh, yeah. Like, their curriculum and history and Spanish, everything is Christian Is Christian. Christian All based. of it, So yeah. all the history that they're learning is from the Bible. Yep. <laughs> Which Sorry. I mean, to be fair, a, a, a Christian school—that's what they'll do. Oh, totally. And, and they have, that, you know, but... and they, no, but it is strange to see that the, the school book says Spanish for Christian schools. Well, yeah, and you just yeah. like, dude, you're teaching Spanish. Yeah. What, what? At what point in a regular, regular public school does a Spanish textbook? Touch some nerves that Christian well, people not, like. Not to mention the fact that these people are probably getting pretty inaccurate history of the of the U.S. You well, know? yeah, I mean, we're talking about life inside of a vacuum. I mean, exactly. that's what this that's what this and, whole movie and the, is. The scene where he's writing the things on the board and he writes, "Don't ask dumb questions." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, "I know this may sound kind of harsh, but don't waste my time with dumb questions." Now, the like, thing, whoa, dude, the same thing I like about dickhead. That. Yeah. <laughs> oh fuck. The same thing I love about that guy is that. The, in in the Hell House, the character he plays is the most horribly stereotypical totally. Mexican gangbanger guy. <laughs> What's up, Bessé? Like, it's the worst. You know what I mean? And you're looking at him going, dude, like, do you realize, like, what it is that you're doing? Like, that you're, you're, you're making this mockery of your own culture. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it just... The fact that he played this stereotypical character, and this is true of so many of the people involved in this. I mean, the 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 scene where they're they're finding out which characters they're going to play, and they post them up in the school, and the one girl goes up and she's so excited, and she's like, "I got the date oh, rape scene. I'm date raping." The other girl's like, "I'm incest," <laughs> and they're hugging like they just wanted it's something. Seriously, crazy. And then the thing about it is that I think is such an interesting subversive thing that they touch on in this <laughs> is that you know. These good, chaste Christian kids, and and the adults, not just the kids, and the adults, they get off on shooting the guns and screaming at each other and doing acts of suicide well, I, and murder and mayhem and mutilation. 
they love it. I mean, they love it so much there that you a, just go, you're getting an enjoyment out of this that isn't about saving souls, and no, nobody there will acknowledge that. It's, uh, there, there's, the, I want to kind of touch on the acting that you're kind of talking about. Mm -hmm. There's a scene in here that I'm pretty sure if this movie was, uh, I know, I know this movie was made after the one I'm going to reference. Okay. But the scene in, uh, where they're trying people out and there's a three people sitting at the, at the desk yeah. is exactly almost to the T like waiting for Guffman. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, huh? where they do this so overdramatic, terrible acting. Like, and then they leave, and they're like, and they're, "Ooh, she was wow. great. Ooh, yeah, wow, wow. yeah." I mean, it, I seriously, woof. I, like, I have, go I still have goosebumps. Exactly. Like, and and her dad is like tearing up almost, and oh, you're just like, no. and you're just like, "Are you fucking serious? That is yeah. not only the worst acting, but that's the, uh, almost like I was just like." You really thought that was good? Like, yeah. but it reminded me so much oh, of the I way totally. the government scene where he's like, strike it. That's a, that's a, you know, that's yeah. a word. Would reason. you like <laughs> us to strike this chair, Corky? <laughs> yeah, amazing. Other great, other great moments. Um, okay. The gun safety guy. Those are real guns. He's a cop, and he's giving them real shotguns yep. and real fucking nine millimeters to kids, to high school kids with blanks in them. That's right. That doesn't... A blank can still kill people, you know? Bruce Lee, fuck. Like, it can still fucking kill you. I couldn't believe that. Secondly, um, in the satanic worship scene, did you notice that that was a Jewish star that they painted? I have that written down. That was the next oh, thing I was going to say. Holy Muhammad! The star of David. They also... Fucking David on a cross. Is, oh, my God. This is a big thing that I noticed, because that... The, uh, in Wicker Man, when they do the swords together, yeah. also the Star of David. And I looked it up on the internet, and yeah. apparently b Christians believe in a, in a way back whenever that's a sign of Lucifer, is the Star of David. Well, yeah, I mean, didn't you know but that? I, didn't you know that the 12 Jews that control the world's <laughs> money live in a bulletproof synagogue that's 10 miles below the crust I, of the Earth's surface? I have that written down, and I'm like... That's not a pentagram. That is a fucking star of David. Yeah, it's a star of fucking David. <laughs> yeah. I could. I saw I was that. And I'm like, like what am I wrong? And I even typed in pentagram at yeah. work today. How about that great part? That is the same scene where they're talking about like doing all the witchy writing and pentagrams and everything. He's like, you can't do them in white. And they had that conversation. Oh. I was like, we had that Satanist come through a couple of years ago, and he was giving me a real hard time because we had stuff written in white and we had those white candles. Nothing in white and a satanic. <laughs> and they have a whole conversation, a very droll, normal, everyday conversation about it, about how you don't use white. Mm -hmm. And he's like, is that what that white paint that you bought over there is for? Oh, so, no, oh no, 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 I bought that for something else. Like, oh, my Lord. It's, it, if you want to see a documentary that really engulfs you in people's lives and and just takes you out of an element you've never really seen, unless I guess you're heavily Christian, which I don't think we have many listeners right now I that are heavily Christian. doubt and, it, but uh, if but we do, you know that we're not... Go see you can movie. tell that we're not making fun of that. No, no, um, I mean, it really is, like, encapsulating the whole time. And uh, uh, another movie that we're doing um, in this festival, Paradise Lost, I think there are some similarities as far as um, showing these people's lives outside of... You know, in Paradise Lost, 
outside of the murders and outside of the hell house and that kind of stuff. And once again, in a lot of ways, although I do think that there's more narrative uh, oh, definitely, yeah. in, in, in Paradise of Lost, course. Well, there, has it, to be. It, there still is a lot of letting the story tell itself. A couple extra things that I wanted to touch on. How about, um, the, how about this, real quick? The speaking in tongues part. Thank you, thank you. Um, I'm sorry. The love language, speaking in tongues, scarier than the twins in The Shining, scarier than Freddy Krueger, and scarier than Linda Blair's spinning motherfucking head or masturbating with a crucifix. God damn it! I have n- no. I am going out on a limb here and saying I we have done this whole episode without actually saying like. Oh, that's religiously, you know, like, no, we're being very respectful. But my God, people, shalalalalala, shamanabadabadabah, no. It's freaky. That is the scariest thing I've ever seen in a movie, hands down, ever. (laughs) Ever. And I've seen a lot of movies. I've seen Faces of Death. I I would watch that monkey get hit in the head with a hammer (laughs) over and over again for the rest of my life if I never had to hear somebody speak in tongues. Terrifying. All right, that out of the way. A couple of the things, you know, then, okay, and then on the flip side of that, to redeem myself here, the other thing I wanted to say is that um, the testimonials part, where they're actually just, you know, the stark white background, and they're filming the person, and it's uh, most of the time it's kids, oh, yeah, yeah. and they're talking about this, such a brave thing to do, and such a fucking awesome way to segue from one scene in the movie to another, and the kids are talking about what their version of hell would be like. The kids are talking about when they think that the the second coming is is, is going to be. Uh, they're they're talking about their own faith in God, and the thing that I love about it is that they are so naked and honest that you cannot say these people are idiots. No way. Yeah. You can't be you 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 even though so much of the movie. Allows these allows some of these people to incriminate themselves by the things they say and do by just sitting and having a camera on them and going, "Whoa, that's a little NPC, bro!" Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Even though there's that, these testimonial scenes are so honest and and brutally honest that it's you're left at the end of the day with realizing these people aren't stupid and they're not faking it and they're not acting one way and then saying another thing. They believe these things, you know, and you have these poor, like, 12-year-old kids going, things, of course Jesus is coming right back because things are worse in the world than they've ever been before. And you think, how would you know about that? Go watch the fucking Wiggles. (laughs) And, you know, you can't help but think that, but then at the same time you go, but they do believe that, and that creates the dichotomy that makes a movie like this so disturbing and educational all at the same time and and really just a phenomenal piece of filmmaking. It's it's really, like, watching it this time, especially for the podcast, it really, I mean, I've seen it multiple times same before. Same here, same here. And year. it really kind of freaked me out more than it has any other time. Because you had to delve. Yeah, you had to kind of... I mean, even the first time you watched it, though, I'm sure you felt oh, yeah. very much the same way because, like I said... It, it portrays everything like our, our man, the one that has the child that has cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. y- you know, you like him and you realize that his version of God and the way in which God helps him, like even his child having that seizure at the beginning, mm-hmm. and he says, oh God, please don't let this be happening, and the kid pulls out of a seizure right then, and, yeah. he, and he attributes oh, yeah, it 100% crazy. to that, mm-hmm. and even says it to the camera that you think, this guy needs this. This totally. is everything to him, and you would never wish to take that away from him. Even after watching some of the some of the 
horrible portrayals of things that they disagree with. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, when I knew when I knew about this movie, and I knew that there was this scene where the gay man is dying of AIDS in the hospital because he got married to another guy, I went, I don't want to watch that movie. Yeah. But watching it and taking everything that I believe and putting it up against people that really God honestly believe this, it. It, it makes for a difficult watch in the best way possible. Totally. It evokes all those emotions. And if, you, and if you think after listening to this review that we spoiled anything, we have not. No, there is, there you have is, to see it for yourself, really. And some of the interactions is, on uh, of these people and and the ceremonies they they have in their church and the. It's one of those ones I watched once and went and bought. You know, yeah. and and you cannot deny these people believe these things and if in, if nothing else other than to educate yourself about the world around you yeah. then it's worth seeing because if you do consider somebody who feels that way about the world around them to be your enemy then you need to do yourself the, the favor of knowing your enemy Well, and if you don't know anything about it then you need to watch it and realize that there's actually people out there that believe these things that believe that demons are, are, are real like have arms and legs and can grab you. Hugh, Ridge Against the Machine, Know Your Enemy, go. And then I'm going to fly out of the phone booth <laughs> yeah. and the credits will roll. All right, we're going to take a break and listen to a lovely song, Violent Kisses by Coyote Hood. So good. Great song. Um, and then we'll be back with our feedback and yep. that should be it. All right, see you in a minute.
Welcome back. Right, let's get into the feedback. Yes. We've got quite a bit, actually. This yeah. Week, so uh, thank you very much, everyone. Yes, thank you in. so much. First one is from my younger brother, Jay, who uh, said that he agrees that the dubbing in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly takes you out of the movie, but that it was unavoidable because the whole film was shot in Spain, mm. and most of the actors, besides the three main actors aren't even really speaking English. They're speaking Italian or Spanish. Like I said last week, I think I mentioned that they, they were the only three that didn't have any overdubs. But And yeah. from what he read, Eastwood and the other American actors had to memorize their lines where their lines started because they didn't speak Italian. So other guys are... And then he's like, uh, now it's my turn. He says, uh, Leone, Leone hardly spoke any English himself, so directed the American actors was often difficult. I also can't believe that you didn't mention the great score by Ennio Mor was it Mor Morricone. Morricone. One of my favorite and most iconic film scores. Great podcast. Looking forward to the next podcast. I loved Hell House. Looking forward to your review. But Thanks, we, we, Jay. We did a little woo-woo. Yeah, that just showed how many... I figured it was like the soundtrack is so bitchin' we don't even need to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, Everybody that's a classic knows. Western. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the next one is... Um, this one is from Taylor, uh, Taylor Williams. And uh, he's basically... Our biggest fan. Talking about uh, 28 Days Later. He basically disagrees with us on some parts of it. He says... says first half. First half is gold. Second half is convoluted, lame, and predictable. Seriously, mm. people, fucking having a raging boner for this movie and the second half so peters out for me. I think it has a serious problem, and while I can appreciate it... I think it's far from being as good as many people think it is. Yeah. Once the army gets involved, everything becomes stale and cliche, and it's almost yeah. like two different movies mashed together. Um, he's a big Cillian Murphy fan. Turns out, the, uh, and then he turns into the bionic commando because his lady friends are about to get torn up by some big bad army cock. Give me a break. Um, you know, it, I. I mean, I can see what he's saying. They are kind of two different movies in a way, but at the, I think it works fine. And, you know, it's a zombie movie, so I kind of have to believe whatever, you know? I mean, there's dead people walking around. And just because it's a cliche doesn't mean that you can take that cliche and redo it and still come up with a better version of it than has ever been seen before. So to me, eh. Can I read this next part because I love what he says? Okay. Give me a fucking break. If someone big army dude was going to rape my old lady and I would still be 5 foot 6, 120 pounds when dripping wet. I can muster up all the rage in the world, but that isn't going to give me a leg up on the fucking tra trained well, soldier. That's one of our clichés though. Also, it is. It really is. One of mine. Yeah. Sure it's a movie and zombies are a thing of fiction, but come on. Every time I see it he's running around like one of the infected all badass and crazy. It just makes me laugh. Maybe silly and Murphy rolled his 12-sided die right before he went all <laughs> loco and he gave a million hit points and maximum charisma and he happened to find his elven cloak of protection that he thought he lost in the minds of Moria but it was just invisible again until he gained enough char charisma to be able to see it again in his little knapsack. <laughs> wow, Taylor. A little bit of hostility there. <laughs> also, if you're a fan of zombies, you have to repeat, have to go read World War Z. I have read it. Unbelievable. I have not. So I need crazy. To. It's an incredible novel that you won't be able to put down. It's the best zombie story it I have truly, ever read. Truly is. This guy has never, I, I, I've never seen such, I read such a book where the, he's, you can tell this dude has done his research. It is crazy. And I actually read somewhere, 
and I don't know how true this is, that they are making it into a movie. Really? And I hope they do it right, because it is really interesting. It's well, basically, according to Taylor, it's going to kick serious amounts of ass. If it's done right. And melt your mind. Really, though, if you like zombies and the whole aspect of one day they're going to take over the world kind of deal. And it's very, they really portray it very realistically in the book. And it's very political as well. Really? Like it's, it's pretty interesting. Like I've heard a lot of good stuff about it. I want to check it out. I would be very interested to see the movie because there's only really one way I think you could do it. So I that, that's just in my head though. So depending on who they get to do it, like if Fincher did it or something like that, right, right, right. Whoa, it would be incredible. So it would be wow. really interesting to well, see. Well, I want to read another. it. So you own it? Yeah. I Will have you bring it. it next week for me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. After you watch my movie. I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, next up, we have a letter from Ryan Doman. Uh, he's talking about in Bruges. Bruges. He says, sorry for another late one. Me and the missus watched this last weekend, so I just got around to listening to the podcast today. I'm with Sherlock on this one. Overall, I liked the movie. It was cute. It was clever. It was at times touching. But it just seemed that they were trying for the everything plus the kitchen sink approach, and it didn't work for me. Too jarring. I really, really enjoyed it up to the point where Ralph Fiennes pronounced Rafe, by the way, which... What, how does his brother pronounce his name? Not in America. Joseph? <laughs> Fucking come on. Uh, came over to kill Colin. At that point, it just seemed like they switched gears to the really bad late 90s watch Reservoir Dogs way too many times, trying to be dark and extreme, sponsored by Mountain Dew, Way of the Gun, Boondock Saints type of, type of movie, which really didn't work with the rest of the film. I half expected to see some slow motion bullet time <laughs> effect accompanied with really bad dark techno. But thankfully, they stopped short of that. Couldn't agree more, Ryan. <laughs> now, and then, I, he, and then I, he goes on. I have on. to defend, I, I still think it ties the movie together awesome. That's still my view. Go ahead. Ah, he says, like I said, I really did like it. The part where Colin karate chops that midget might be the greatest thing I've seen all year. But <laughs> the ending truly. of the movie was lame and disappointing, at least to me and my wife. P.S. Thank you very, very much for reviewing The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. It honestly is my favorite film of all time, and I'm glad you both enjoyed it. Like I told Pulcher, I've seen it probably around 30 times, and it just gets better and better. And I'm watching The Wild Bunch tomorrow, so fuck you, he says. <laughs> that's right, to well, you, I believe. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Um, looks like the next... Uh, Mark Middlemas just look- wrote back again about uh, um, The Hustler. Oh, and saying how how he... Uh... I only put it up there because of what he says. I, okay. love, I love it like a child. A Palin-esque special needs child <laughs> who lacks color and pigmentation, which only emphasizes its gritty brilliance and beauty in glorious George C. Scott and Paul Newman black and white. Sometimes at night, when the city sleeps and the children dream, I buff and comforted shiny DVD face. Wow. So Palin I think special that means, needs yeah. <laughs> Holy God, Mark, thank you so much. We will watch The Hustler now <laughs> and think about you buffing its shiny DVD face. Okay, real quick before we end, our last bit of feedback is, is from, from Levi. Lebo. He uh, talks about Godspeed, You Black Emperor, who did the soundtrack and apparently... To 28 Days Later. To 28 yes. Days Later from last week. Uh, apparently, Godspeed was actually begged to do the to- the soundtrack. They refused, but agreed to do what you mentioned. The one Did- song in that one scene. Danny yeah. Boyle gave John Murphy Godspeed records and told them to emulate them, which oh, I think is great. I do, too, definitely. And thank you so much, Levi, for giving me John Bryan. John Bryan. 
that is who scored Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's who uh, John Murphy's stuff in 28 Days Later reminded me of, yeah. um, as well as uh, I Hire Huckabees, and produced uh, Extra- Extraordinary Machine by Fiona Apple. And remember, because he did like the one version of the Fiona Apple record, yeah. and the executives didn't like it, and so there's only two songs that are on the new version that, that are the ones that John Bryan did. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes comment about this as one of my favorite things. Um, he produced From a Basement on a Hill the last Elliott Smith record in the process of making it. John Bryan confronted Elliott Smith about his drug use. This is true. Elliott Smith flipped out, took the reels, and destroyed them. He burned them. <laughs> and so there is an amazing Elliott Smith record that you'll never hear. So if you can imagine the music from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind mixed with Elliott Smith, that's what that record was supposed to be oh. before Elliott Smith burned Sad it all. Day. Yeah. Fucking bullshit. So anyway, um, now Levi goes on to mention that he disagrees with us on the credit card scene to a point. He thinks that the putting the credit card scene down inside of the uh, grocery store that uh, uh, um, uh, Brennan Gleason puts down, um, he does think it's the most powerful little scene. But he thinks that it's more of a fuck it gesture than a humanity gesture. It's like, well, I won't be needing this anymore. Everything has changed. Interesting take. That, is a good point. that alone, Taylor, is enough reason to say that that, that movie doesn't blow. <laughs> okay, because people can have different concepts and. Um, he said. He also says the ending. He thinks the theatrical ending made the movie, and for Levi, it made the difference between a really cool movie and one of his top ten favorites oh, of all time. And I think there may have been some confusion there too, because I actually thought the theatrical ending was the better ending. I didn't like the alternate ending as much. That's. That's what I was trying to portray last week. I don't know. What oh, me too. No, I was too. Okay. I, the only thing I said like is that according things. according to Danny Boyle, that the other exactly, version, yeah. the dystopic ending, the is the real ending. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I, I like the ending in the theatrical version. I'd rather have that one. I would too. rather have that so. one hands down. Okay, so now on to Levi's comment about Wicker Man. Sherlock lent this movie to me a few years ago. I didn't see this movie as a kid, so there's nothing nostalgic for me about it at all. I think that some of the core ideas of it are interesting, and you can see the influence that it had on Hot Fuzz all over it. Which I never I never noticed like until he said all that. All over it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Um, I like the idea of weird music playing while violent scenes take place. In my opinion, the movie left very little to consider it a classic. Agreed. Apparently, George Lucas got a hold of Christopher Lee early <laughs> to start preparing for his role as Count Dooku. <laughs> Totally disagree with that. Anyway, the one credit dislike I'll give it is that it feels like you're watching a play. The acting is very stage acting. The movie comes across as a 60s Disney movie hijacked by a B-horror movie director. The way the movie is filmed made me feel like I was watching The Electric Grandmother or Condor Man. Considering it was made in 1973. Okay, now we know when it was made. This movie had a lot more potential visually. When taking into account the dark subcontext of the movie, it was played out very corny, and halfway through I felt exhausted and hoped it would get better or end soon. Neither happened. I wish I had two more hands so I could give them titties four thumbs down. Your pal, Levi. I couldn't agree more. Those are as same, I said. Those are the same problems that I had with it. As I said, it's an acquired taste. I fucking stand by it. That's fine. I you will have your opinion. Yeah, and you right, have well, your copy of In Bruges. So if you agree, we're all uh, on the same page. You agree or disagree with <laughs> anything we have to say this week? Anything at all? Please write in a damn podcast at gmail.com. or you can just go to a damn podcast.com and click on the email there. Definitely. And um, next week we're going to do the Omen yes, and why, why we, we fight. fight to continue the 
a documentary film festival. Um, and I guess we haven't come up with top five, maybe top five creepy kids. Just oh, well, yeah, totally. Period. Top five creepy kids. Any movies apply. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. My number one is going to be uh, Problem Child with John Ritter. <laughs> Good one. Yeah. I would probably put Problem Child 2 above that, but whatever. You know, you, you're you your own the person. shitty part. You're your own person. You're not being flippant. You really think that. <laughs> no. You really think Problem Child both. 2 is a better movie, I have don't seen you? both. You think it's a better movie because by that time the characters are all established so they can yeah. just really work on the Finally, plot. Finally, we can really delve, delve into, into that plot yeah. of, you know, because now we know the characters, right? Exactly. Yeah. And they all come. Holy sweet Jesus. All right. Uh, so that's listening. it. I am Adam Sherlock. I'm Adam Pulcher. This is episode 29. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next week for the Dirty 30.